Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Hey, man. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, as I said before. And I have the great privilege of every single week trying to tell the great story uh, of the person of Jesus, who I believe is the greatest person in human history. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is a story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You just slip up your hand and you borrow one of ours. One of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that and read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Hey, amen. Hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Titus. And if you're watching online, we're so glad that you're joining us today. Make sure that if you are doing church at home, uh, the idea of the church is that you gather. So make sure that you're gathering with your family. Uh, the word church mean, is in the Greek is ekklesia, which literally means the gathering. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. The church is a gathering of the people of God. Amen. And so gather together with your home with some family friends. I know we have people watching in different places in the country. People have moved away from our church here. We're praying that you find a local community. We pray that uh, we're able to supplement until you find one. Uh, but we're so glad that you joined us. But the purpose is not uh, when, uh, 9, 1045, uh, or where, Buellton, Lompoc, or online. The point of the church is that you actually gather because life is better together. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so let's look at the book of Titus that we've been in for uh, the past several weeks. And if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find it much faster. And you'll find it tucked in between um, the big book, which would be Hebrews and First and Second Timothy. Then you're going to find Titus and Philemon. And so we're going to be in Titus, which is just a couple pages, and we're going to be in chapter 2 today. We're actually going to cover all of chapter 2. Now, when I say all of chapter 2, uh, that doesn't mean that we won't spend the next three weeks in chapter 2 <laughs> like we did the last three weeks in uh, just a few verses from chapter 1, verse 9 and on. And so uh, I have some things that I'd like to to say uh, this morning, uh, and uh, I know that's a shocker, and uh, but there are some important things that I want us to talk about. Um, I'm praying for direction from the Lord on how much of uh, the weeds I will get in today, and so you can pray for me as well. Uh, my prayer always is this. Uh, people ask me sometimes, uh, Pastor Sam, do you, do you get nervous uh, speaking with people? Do you get nervous in, in front of crowd? How many of you, public speaking is like a nightmare for you? Anybody? Uh, so I would like you, we're going to do an illustration where you come up this morning. Uh, <laughs> so my life is your nightmare. That's great to know. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, people ask me, do you get nervous? And, and I go, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, there's a sense of nervousness, but it's not because I'm in front of people. It's that I know that if I have something difficult to say, 
I, my nerves and my nervousness is, will people hear my heart when I said it? Right? Like, that, that's the hard thing. You have to say something difficult. Right? I got a friend. I got a confrontation. I got a, a tough conversation I need to have, and this will be good. But will they hear the heart when I say it? And that's what we should all endeavor to do. We should all endeavor to have tough conversations because none of us like tough conversations. Amen. None of us like tough conversations. So, so we should try to have those in such a way that the grace of God, the Spirit of God is with us, and patience and long-suffering and, and, and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Um, and, and that's not a tone of voice or a personality. Amen? Uh, that is, how do I communicate in such a way uh, that brings glory to God and good to others, even if they don't like me after the conversation. Right? Amen? And we're all addicted to people liking us, aren't we? Right? None of us woke up this morning and was like, I just wish the world hated me. Right? No, no one thinks that way. It was like, I want to be liked. I want to be accepted because God has put that in our hearts. He's connected us to one another for a reason. And so it's this, 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 um, this kind of conundrum we find ourselves is, is that I need people, I want people, I love people, but I don't live for the attention and affection of people. Amen? Amen. And let me give you a, the prime example for that that we can understand is that we love our children. Amen? And you have to say some difficult things. Amen? Even if you're like, you're not going to like me right now but this is for your good. And they're like, this can't be good, right? <laughs> like there's no, nothing about this is good. And you're like, trust me, this is going to be good. And so uh, look at the book of Titus with me, uh, chapter 2, and um, we'll dive right in. It says, but as for you, he's talking to Titus, a local pastor on the island of Crete, off the coast of Greece, a very isolated, culturally rich area. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then he gets into specifics. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a, good, a model of good works. And in your teachings, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent, an opponent may not be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Why? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Look at somebody say, all I don't know if you know this, but in the Greek, all means all. Amen. All people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, 
Look at somebody say, get control of yourself. Seems to be a common theme with every category. Self-control. Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That means right now. That means in this moment. That means no matter what the culture is saying. It, it means right now in this moment, no matter how difficult it is. It means in this moment, right now, not, uh, not looking around to see what, what's everybody else doing, what's going on here, making excuses of why this is irrelevant. In the present age, that present age was from then through now until we see the return of Christ. Well, how do I know that? In this present age, what? Waiting for our blessed hope. Who is our blessed hope? His name is Jesus. Amen? To live godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that you would help us see your word as truth. Help us, encourage us, stir us in all things for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, Amen. The truth hurts sometimes. Amen? Ooh, three of you. Anybody said anything truthful to you? Uh, the truth hurts sometimes. Amen? Man, it hurts. It stings. The truth is offensive to everyone. The tr let, me, let me say this again. The truth is offensive to everyone. Amen? I had someone disagree with that lately. Recently, uh, maybe you go, I, I don't know, like, I'm not offended by the truth. You're not offended by the truth that you accept. Ooh, that's good, right? Then there's the other side, right? The, the blind spot that you have, the, the perspective that you don't have because you don't have all perspectives because, newsflash, you don't know everything. Amen. And practice that weekly. We don't know everything. Amen? And so the truth is offensive to everyone. What does it mean? That the person of Jesus will offend everyone. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he will put all of us in contrast to him. When you look at him, you will see your flaws. You will see your lack. You will see the ugliness of what you want to do versus what he calls us to do. See, truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And his life is perfection. His life is the ultimate achievement. His life is what we aspire to be. Here's the bad news. It's impossible for you to inspire to be Jesus. You ever tried? You ever failed? Oh, that should get a heartier amen. You ever tried? You ever failed? Amen. Right? But then what is this 
What is this conundrum? I mean, the conundrum of the scriptures is calling us to something that we cannot achieve on our own and by our own power. The Bible says it's not by might. It's not by you pulling up your bootstraps, you trying to figure out you, you trying to make sure that you do all the right things, say all the right things. It's not by might, nor by power, by your strength, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. See, here's the beautiful thing is that in this life where God calls us to more, calls us to a goal, calls us to the high mark of the call of Jesus Christ, knowing that we are bankrupt in our ability to do so. He gives us his spirit. So then it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Here's the good news. You don't have to live this life. You only have to submit to the spirit who lives this life in you and through you and for you for his glory and your good what's this 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 new life this resurrection life that we've been talking about this contrasted life the the old life anybody aware of the old life anybody aware of the old you I'm hyper aware of the old me. And I'm hyper aware as I grow more and more in what God's called me to do. And the more and more I realize the spirit of God is working in my life. And the more and more my new life becomes in contrast to the old me. All of a sudden I'm more and more aware of the old me. Anybody's been following Jesus for some time, they'll tell you that very thing. I, I'm hyper aware. See, that was Paul's journey. Paul, when he first came to Christ, he was very adamant because he didn't have the greatest rep- reputation or the greatest resume. I mean, how do you go from murdering Christians to asking to lead the local small group, right? And yet, Paul starts his ministry by saying, I'm an apostle of God, not called by men, but by God. And it's true, and, and we needed to, people needed to heed his word and hear what he had to say, but he had an uphill climb. But as he grew in Christ, as his relationship with Christ grew, as his ministry grew, he did not think more of himself. He thought of himself less and not more than he ought to. And he said things like this, I am least of the saints you ever heard your pastor say if i'm the best christian in the room we're all in trouble that's true right Uh, stole that line updated that modernized that line he says i'm least of the saints then by the end of his ministry he says this i am chief of sinners I mean, think about how offended we would be if our leaders, if your pastor got up and said, hey, welcome to Crossroads Church. I just want to let you know I am chief sinner around here. And you're like, we're going to find another church, right? And yet that's exactly who we should be, right? Because Paul has understood that the truth of who Jesus is will always offend the old me that wants to go my way and Jesus comes along and says, no, there's this new 
way. See, the truth is offensive at all areas. So then I can't put God in some type of category or box. I can't put God in some type of known entity in such a way that I have God figured out and then I just apply him to all the areas of my life where I have problems that need to be solved. Let me say that again. Sometimes God seems like this entity that I begin to sprinkle on my problems or, or I use this cliche or this Bible verse when I meet this problem or I find this thing that I think magically will solve my problem. Listen, friends, that is not biblical Christianity. That is magic. And it's heresy. To think that God is here waiting for you like a genie in a bottle. And you have him put on the shelf. And, and, and whenever you need him, you access him. You've got a code. And you think that code is certain Bible verses and memory verses and certain prayer language and certain things that are like a combination lock. I unlock the genie in a bottle and out comes God and fixes the problems that I've been waiting. Where have you been? What have you been doing? We just be honest that sometimes pastors and leaders and Christian authors and, and, and certain things in the church, this is how this gets propagated, that God is somehow this entity that we can fully know. And can I just tell you that if your theology has led you to believe that you have God figured out, then you have bad theology. Let me say that again. If your theology has led you to a place where you believe you have God figured out, then it's bad theology. Amen? So then what is it? It means that I'm in the pursuit. I'm looking to know. I don't have him figured out because that's what relationships are. Right? Like, like if I come home and listen, like, baby, I got you pegged. Right? Like, I look at my wife, like, I know everything there is to know about you. She, she's going to be like, the heck you do, right? You don't know me, right? All of a sudden, she's going to change real quick. I'm going to see sides of her I've never seen before, right? Like, we think about this in the, uh, the reality of human relationships, the complexity of human beings, the complexity of, of the relationship between men and women, the complexity of relationship between one human being to another human being, and then we think somehow that the creator of the universe who's created all of this complexity, who's created the complexity of the universe, complexity of the human genome, the complexity of the human brain that we cannot fully comprehend. We've never touched the depths of the ocean and somehow we think we're going to live on Mars, baby, right? And yet, the complexity of knowing another human being, I don't know if you've realized that human relationships are complex. Have you noticed that we're getting really terrible at human relationships? How then, friend, can you think that you can fully know this creator? Put him into a category of left or right or Republican or Democrat or this or that. 
God says this about this. I know it for certain. How can you possibly accept to be on the journey like you are in every relationship that you're in? Husbands, you're pursuing your wives, amen? (laughs) Husbands, you're pursuing your wives, amen? Wives, you're pursuing your husbands, amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to change topics, and we're going to have a marriage retreat right now. Like this is the start, right? Welcome to marriage retreat 2022, and number one is you should pursue each other. Amen. Uh, right? Let's just, uh, that was free. Uh, the retreat's going to cost you, though. Uh, in every relationship, there is this pursuit, and at every turn, there is new discovery. But what I have to lay down are my preconceived notions and ideas. This is the very idea of repentance. Repentance means to change the way you think so that you can do something different. Repentance is going, no, 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 not my way. I thought I had it figured out. I thought I knew. And yet that was the whole point when John the Baptist came on the scene the crazy cousin of Jesus, and everybody's got a crazy cousin, right? If you don't have a crazy cousin, it's you, (laughs) right? The crazy cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, his one message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what's he saying? He's not saying turn or burn. He's not saying make sure that you get it right or pay the price. What he's saying is change the way you think or you're going to miss the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus was there. And they had all these preconceived notions about who Jesus would be. They wanted him to be a political revolutionary. They had these ideas that he would overthrow Rome and break the back of Caesar. But Jesus came to break the back of Satan. And to deliver us not from Rome, but from sin. Sin that corrupts the human heart. That it does not matter what the legislation is, friend. If the heart is corrupt, it does not matter what the law of the land is. Laws do not change people. Only love does. See, that was the point of the person of Jesus. He didn't come trying to change the poverty of their hand. He was more concerned with the poverty of their heart, the bankruptness of their heart. And so they missed him. Why? Because they thought they knew how the Messiah, the coming Savior, would come. And they had had this book that prophesied. They had these prophecies. They had all the things that you and I now read in the Old Testament go, how did they not see this? How did they not see that this is Jesus? Why? Because they had blinders on of how they thought the world should work. What's the point for us today, Pastor Sam? If you already know everything, If you already know how God has ordained things to go, and my question is, did someone teach that to you or did you learn it on your face and eating this book? Did you get it from a meme? Did you get it from an author or was your face in the book 
when you looked into the person of Jesus that is revealed for us in this book that's been going viral for thousands of years, and it feels more like it's reading you than you're reading it. It knows things, and it brings up things that you didn't know to bring up, and it begins to point you around corners that you didn't even know were there. It will bring up topics that you never want to touch. Why? Because it is a story, two human beings showing us the ultimate human, the son of man, God in the flesh, revealing to us what human beings are meant for. The question is, will you adhere to it? Will you look to it? Will you yourself go, God, what do you have? And will you submit when you find truth that offends you? Remember that whole thing I just said? There's things about the truth that will offend you. When you get in the book, will you go, ah, I don't really agree with that part. And can I tell you, that's the part you must wrestle with the most. Let me give you some hints about how God speaks to us. The thing that you want to ignore, the thing that keeps coming in front of you, the thing that stings when you read it, that's the very thing that God is speaking to you. How many remember the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus? There's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. He has so much money and stuff. He's got a posse. He drives a G-Wagon. He has everything that you could possibly need. And he says, Master, teacher, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom? And what does Jesus say to him? Man, sometimes this gets hijacked. Because sometimes we then take the equation of relationship and think that all relationships are the same. We think that everyone's journey to faith is the same. We think that everyone's leading, everyone's doing, everyone's uh, uh, journey to Christ is the same. But what does he say? He looks at him and says, sell all of your possessions and do what with it? Give it to the poor. Now, do you know that Jesus doesn't do this with many people? My understanding, there's some debate on, there's a similar story like this, but this seems to be one of the only places where Jesus says something like this. And like, you're like, <laughs> like I like, my, uh, I like my stuff, right? Why is it? He, he comes to Jesus and he actually says, hey, I, I've done this. I've done that. Jesus actually goes through this. He says, do this, do this. He begins to list the commands to him. And the rich young ruler goes, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. What else is there? And then Jesus says this one thing. He agreed with all this other stuff, but he says this one thing that he knows is too much for the rich young ruler to bear. And he says, give, sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he had great wealth and he would not part with it. Something had taken over his heart far more Something had controlled him. His stuff began to own him more than he owned it. And Jesus knew that. So that was the very thing that Jesus would speak to individually, specific, for a reason, 
Sometimes uh, there have been movements of people that then suggest that Christians are meant to be poor. Christians are meant to sell everything. That's not what Jesus does with everyone. Around him is Joseph of Arimathea. Around him is Nicodemus. Around Paul is Lydia, who's a a seller of purple goods. That means she's got a house in L.A., a house in New York. She's got the the most bang-up Etsy page you've ever seen, and she fuels Paul's ministry. God uses is wealth but if those people who have wealth and it holds their heart more than Jesus then maybe Jesus would rather free you of your heart issue free you of the thing that holds your heart see Jesus will speak to the very thing that you're just not quite willing to give up that you're not quite willing and then he speaks to it Well, what does that have to do with Titus? Well, he's going to get into the dynamics of men and women. He's going to get into the dynamics of husbands and wives. He's going to get into the dynamics of children and younger and older. He's going to get into the dynamics of the culture of your home. He's going to get into the kingdom culture that we are meant to pursue in our imperfection. He's calling us to something more. And so when it says words that offend, when it says things that are not quite willing to give up yet, when it says things that don't quite fit into my category or how I was raised or or what my upbringing was, will I toss it away? See, what we dealt with over the past few weeks was in Titus, Paul tells Titus to deal with false teachers who are around her trying to pull people away into the culture and away from Christ. And one of the first things he says, there are some among you who are insubordinate. What he means is is they will not fall under the authority of Scripture. They will not fall under the authority of, of Christ. So what are these things? See, there's some things here that he suggests to us. Dynamics between husbands and wives, men and women, specifically. Him and there's gonna be some dirty words in here like submit. Whew, ladies, I love you, right? You're gonna hear the dirty word of the Bible, submission. I want to help us understand what that looks like. First, he starts off, says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. As a pastor and a leader, he's talking to me as well. And so then I must teach us, not what the culture says, not what your, your, your own upbringing was, but what accords with sound doctrine. Here's what Paul says is sound doctrine. And this sound doctrine will be in contrast to the world around us. Meaning that our family units, when we begin to organize them around the kingdom of God and his word, the world will stand in attention and look and go, what's going on in there? How are they doing that so well? Why are they happy? It seems like there there are roles and it seems like there's a hierarchy and it seems like there are those who do this and those who do that, but they seem to complement one another. And the expression of the image of God plays out 
when you and I, in our complexity, in our diversity, begin to work together. The first thing he says is older men are to be sober-minded. Look at him, nudge him, say sober up, buddy. Sober-minded. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, steadfastness. What is this depiction? And I want to show you that each time he, de- he moves from one category to the other, he uses the word likewise. And so what he does is he starts here, begins to build this thing out, and each time he says, likewise, you are to do also this. You are to do also this. So the categories are not mutually exclusive, but they begin to build on one another. First says to be sober-minded, sober in thinking. He, he, he is addressing the issue of intoxication, but he's also talking about being sober in mind and not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, as one passage will tell us. What do you mean? It's that every single uh, thing that you hear, every bit of information that you have, the next Ponzi scheme that comes up, you don't come home and go, hey, I I got an idea. And she's like, another one? Right? Listen, no, I'm telling you, this is going to work out this time. Right? Like, like, no, we're going to hedge our bets. We're going to double down. We're going to mortgage the house again to go do, like, no, 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 no. Hey, bud, sober up. What he means is, no, 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 you, you have to have a sound mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, a sober mind, meaning that you cannot be intoxicated by every single movement, by every single lie of the enemy. You can't be easily manipulated because that's what happens to people who are not of sober mind, easily swayed, easily go with the flow. Sober mindedness has to do with not being given to intoxication, and he'll build on that. But I think we can also be intoxicated by our own egos. We can be intoxicated by money and greed and business and work. Amen. So he says, be sober minded, dignified, and self controlled. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, so like all the things he said for older men, older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Let's stop for a moment. Reverent in behavior. See, what was happening in Crete is that and what, can hap- what is happening in our culture as well is to tie these two things together to kind, of, to kind of quickly talk about this and we'll kind of conclude and we'll pick up where we left off next week because I told you we're going to be here for three weeks, right? Uh, what Titus begins to paint for us is a picture of what can happen when two people lovingly serve and prefer one another. Let me say it again. Titus begins to show us what happens when two people lovingly serve and prefer 
one another. Now, here's what was happening in Crete, and here's what's happening today, is a, is a dissonance and almost a disgust with the idea of family, with the idea of marriage, the idea that you don't need a spouse. Now, here's what I say. Hey, listen, single ladies, you don't need a spouse to complete you. Amen? Amen. It's like, yeah, I'd like one, though. That's okay, right? Like, uh, and, and, and listen, single men, you don't need a spouse to complete you. Amen? Amen. You might want one. A- amen. Right? And I'd like to introduce you to the first group. Um uh, <laughs> later it's a marriage retreat but also singles and mingles right uh uh, so we're we're losing cabin pressure and yeah i I did a a wedding this past week and when i sit with people i go here's what our culture has said is is we we get our and and listen christian stop getting your talking points from memes and celebrities in every area, with the political climate, with uh, what you think about marriage and singleness, what you think about, stop getting it because you think that they're famous and wealthy. It is a counterfeit glory. And so the reason why we listen to celebrities is because it is the closest thing that Satan can manipulate to show us what a God is like. And they're false gods. Why? Because they have power, authority, and beauty. What does the Bible describe about God? All power, all authority, all beauty. It's all he has is created things to dangle in front of us and say, look, these people have money. That means they have power and source. They're like God. You can listen to them. You can trust them. And yet they're wandering around aimlessly, wondering where they'll get their values from. How are they going to be complete? How are they not just the result of another tabloid Headline: how, how do they not plunder all that they have? And so yet we know that to be true. And yet when cultural, the cultural climate shifts, we look to celebrity first to see what they think, to get our talking points, to say, what do we think about this? The question is, what does this book say about this? So the first thing is, is when it comes to marriage, This idea that we are incomplete human beings who will be complete by another incomplete human being. Let me ask you this question. How many of you believe that you have the ability to satisfy another person at a soul-satisfying level? Oh, wait. You, you know in and of yourself you're lacking. You look in the mirror and you go, there's no way I could ever be someone's all-sufficient need. And yet, for some reason, we think somebody else could be that for us. We think that someone else can satisfy us at an all-sufficient name. Why? Because we have Tom Cruise saying the line, you complete me. And see, the reality is, is human beings make terrible gods. Spouses make terrible gods. Don't look at them. My wife would make a terrible God. I would have been dead a long time ago. I'd make a terrible God. So the idea that, that 
I can somehow complete another person. So here's, here's the idea. The, Genesis says this, the two shall become one. A husband shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The two shall become one. It's not addition, it's subtraction. And essentially it's talking about children. It's talking about, no, 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 these two people are, are going are to bear a child. And there's going to be a human. The two literally shall become one. But it's not this idea that somehow you'll complete the other. The picture that he begins to paint, older women likewise, be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to much. Why well, set a good example? Don't allow wine and gossip to be your life. Amen. Don't let it be this is just what the boys do. No, be sober-minded. This is what the girls do. No, be sober-minded. Reverent in your behavior. It's not some moments I let my hair down. I don't have any. (laughs) Try to hear my heart when I say it. So then it goes on, here's what these older men and women who've been around, here's what he says, they're to teach what is good, so to train younger women to love their husbands and their children. To love their husbands and their children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home. I'm going to touch that next week. Let me give you a caveat. It doesn't mean that a woman can't work outside of her home. But as God gifts her with a husband and children, her primary focus, and every mom will tell you, man, I want my, yeah, I, I love my job. And they thought they were career women, and then they met their children. They're like, Psh, I'll do anything for this job. And yet what's happened in our society is we've lied to women And we've said that a career is the greatest thing that you can have. We've told women that we've lied and said that it is lesser to be managers of their home, stewards of their children. Let me tell you, let me me just give you this little piece and we're going to kind of deal with that a little next week. Um... Making a great product and selling it and making a lot of money pales in comparison to raising a human being. There is no greater call. There is no greater call than to be gifted with the responsibility of training and raising and loving a child. So then we ought to honor that and love that. We ought to pray for those who are seeking that. We ought to encourage and rebuke and train and exhort men to be good men and good husbands so that they have good fathers to go along with a good mother. Amen?
Amen. But here's the picture. What you'll start to see in this is you'll see all of these things that you ought to do and all of these things, sober-mindedness, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness, older women likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not slaves to much wine, but teaching younger women to love their husbands, children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. It doesn't say to men. It doesn't say women submit to men. It says wives submit to your own husbands. You're like, well, I don't like him. You shouldn't have married him. But now you're married to him. So we got to work on him. Amen? Don't look at him, right? That's a joke. What's this submissive thing? Here's what Ephesians, Bible interprets Bible. Ephesians says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is Ephesians 5.25. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For Christ is the head of the church. Also, the husband is the head of his wife. But husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving his life for her. Say what? So hubby, when you thought the Bible told you that you were in charge, what it meant was your chief servant, buddy. You're the one who sacrifices the most, gives the most, serves the most. Wives, what are you submitting to? The humble service of your husband. It kind of works out because I wear this hat. And so I say, it's kind of like this. I sit with people who are getting married and, and I, I say something like this. I, I go, the, the Bible says, talks about this submission thing. And sometimes what we hear, when we hear that, it's like the guy's like, you know, I'm driving. And you think like you're Bo Duke from Dukes of Hazard, And you're like, get in the car, you know, right? But really, it's more like driving Miss Daisy. So you might be driving, but you're, <clears throat> you're opening the door and you're saying, hey, baby, where do you want to go? The submission, ladies, is you got to get in the car and tell him where to go. Hubby, you got to make sure that in your leadership, in your service, you're driving somewhere beautiful. That's sober-minded, dignified, sound in faith and in love, serving and preferring. What if in the context of family, and we're gonna keep breaking this down every single week. What if in the context of family, the competition was who could outserve the other? Imagine a, a marriage it says, hey, baby, tonight's about you. No, babe, tonight's about you. Game on. Those who are single, those who are looking, look for the man who's sober-minded. Look for the man who's dignified. 
Look for the man who is serving, maybe in his church, not serving cocktails. Maybe both, I don't know. Amen? Look for the man who be a good father and a good husband. Men, yo, man, I wish God would send me someone. And he's like, I ain't sending no one to that. <laughs> You're not dignified. You're not sober-minded. What are you doing? Love God with all that you got. Serve him and all things will be added unto you. See, the scriptures begin to tell us things that offend us. The truth will offend us. You go, man, I don't know that I, that's the wife I want to be. Is that the wife God calls you to be? Man, I don't know if that's the husband I, I want to be. I, I don't know that I agree with all that. I don't know if that's how it goes. I don't know if that, I think that's outdated. I think the idea of, of roles and complementary roles between husbands and wives where men have primary purposes and women have primary purposes. And that's beautiful in the diversity. We don't remove the distinctness between us, but we actually celebrate it. Because here's the beauty. God made man and woman, male and female. And he uses us together to put on display the glory and image of who God is. Let's stop trying to wipe it away. Let's stop trying to make everything neutral. But let's begin to actually celebrate. Man, if, if we want to celebrate diversity, we ought to celebrate the diversity between what God's called men to do and what God call, has called women to do and celebrate it with equal value. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, help us every single week to walk through these things. Help us not to have our preconceived ideas and notions. Say, you know what? I know better. But what happens when the family begins to live out their God-given call? But Jesus, I pray, as I know what it's like to grow up in a home that's less than perfect. But in our imperfection, let us pursue the call, the call that we can't live up to, but the Holy Spirit can live in and through us. Help us to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Help us to love our spouse. If we're in the pursuit, help single men to love you more. Help them to see their role as a man to be strong and courageous and loving and serving above all else. Help younger women who are 
single. It's not settle. Not looking for someone else to complete them, but God, you alone complete them. So help them find a partner, a confidant, someone who can help along the way. Help our marriages. Don't let us be people who point the finger at others. Let us not point to the sin of the world because dead people will do dead things and we too once were dead in our trespasses and sin. Let us focus on our own house. Let us get our own houses in order before we point to those who are outside of our community of faith. Let us love and serve and prefer If we're going to compete, let us compete with loving one another more for your glory and our good. And everybody said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise? Hey, go ahead and stand to your feet. Hey, I want to encourage you to be here next week. I know it's 4th of July weekend, but Sunday is July 3rd, so you have no excuse. And uh, we're, we're going to try to streamline the services. We're, we're going to have try to uh, compact it into an hour service. And so we want to be conscientious of your time. We want you to go out and have fun. But let me encourage you, uh, especially as parents, as we make this weekend a priority. And when we make the house of God, the gathering of people a priority, man, we set that legacy, the heritage for our children's children. You know where we were at? We were at church gathered with the people of God, celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen. And so be here, invite somebody. Hey, those of you watching online, we're so glad that you're joining us. Hey, don't forget about your tithes and your offerings. If you call Crossroads home, you already know what that means. Uh, Hey, we're going to end this way, not with a mantra, but with a mission. Uh, We're going to say this, let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. Will you say it with me? Let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. We'll see you next week.